Hey guys, it's Lori. This episode is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Check them out at csbible.com. Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 171, all the easy convos, feminism, gender roles, and complementarianism. NBD. No big deal, guys. (laughs) Yeah, hey guys, welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast, where our mission is to make everybody angry. Just kidding. (laughs) No. Uh, We are so excited for the conversation today, but our mission is to talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day, and we just often talk about it in challenging conversations that the church can kind of either shove aside or make an idol out of. I am your host. Yeah, did you hear I just slipped make an idol out of? I just shoved that under there. (laughs) I'm your host, Lori Krieg, and I do have my favorite co-host, Matt Krieg, and only. Hi. And he's also a licensed therapist and my husband, so (laughs) that too. Oh man, we still have the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi guys. And guys, I'm so looking forward to this conversation today where we are going to talk about, I've heard biblical feminism. I've said it myself, out of my mouth. I've said, I'm a biblical feminist. And then I was like, what do I even mean by that? And so we're going to talk about, what do we even mean by that? And is that a phrase that we should use? Yeah. Let's also talk about gender roles. And let's talk about what's it mean to be feminine. We're not diving too, too much into masculinity. Um, We need to find, if you guys have a good person, a good dude probably to interview uh, on masculinity. We'd love to do that. Um, But we have to interview about not only feminism, femininity, and complementarian and egalitarianism, just for kicks and giggles. We have Felicia Masonheimer with us. But before we ask her some of these tough questions, I just wanted to pause and thank my amazing team for being so amazing. You guys, seriously, in the last six years, God has just gifted us with incredible people, including you, Matt Krieg, and you, Steve O'Dell. Uh, But I want to give a big shout out in particular to Michelle, uh, who is on my team, Michelle Wells. And she actually wrote some of these questions that we're going to be asking Felicia today. Uh, I was in a pinch and I said, can you help? And she goes, I was dying to interview her. So this is a way that we'd be able to do that. So thank you so much, Michelle. I think you are amazing. Hope, so grateful for you, Amanda. Also give another shout out to a different Matt. John, Jesse, and my uh, discernment team that operates as my board of directors for this for-profit ministry that we're doing. For-profit, which is very interesting. You can find out on our site more about that. But Stephanie, Dave, Matt, Sarah, our prayer team and supporters, you're the best. Now this is sounding like an acceptance speech, isn't it, Steve? Yes. Something that... award for... (laughs) Is my team. Okay. (laughs) Guys, I am so excited to welcome to our show fellow Michigander, Felicia Masonheimer. Man, guys, uh, she is a best-selling author and podcast host teaching Christians how to know what they believe and live it boldly. That's awesome. She holds a degree in religion from Liberty University and lives in northern Michigan, like I said, with her husband and three kids. Hey there. <laughs> Hi, Lori. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome, man. We're so glad to have you. Uh, are we all just going to go straight nasal voice the whole time? <laughs> I think we have to just own it. Yeah, we just, just have own to. The- <laughs> Midwestern accent. We just do. No, guys, please stay tuned. Uh, We are so excited to have a conversation today uh, with you to talk about your gospel 
uh, conversion story, how the gospel is still good news for you, and to really engage this whole biblical feminism thing. I am very curious, and maybe we'll tiptoe into the difference, the singular difference between men and women. Can you answer that for us? (laughs) (laughs) We will see. (laughs) All right. Well, let's warm up a bit with a question of the week from last week. Steve, we're going to we're going to pitch it to you second. First to Felicia. So you're ready. You're you're on deck. Felicia, here's the question of the week. What song describes your life right now? Oh, man, I think it's like Call Me Maybe or something like that. (laughs) Why is that? It's so it's just I feel like I'm fielding so many different phone calls that I don't want to answer because I'm a millennial, but that's my stage of life. Uh And my husband is constantly like, you need to actually listen to your voicemails and (laughs) you actually need to schedule our kids doctor's appointments. I'm like, but I don't do phone calls. (laughs) I feel you. I feel you. That is so true. You're like voicemail. You're like, what am I? 79? No, no offense to 79 year olds. I'm just saying it's just what are you doing? <laughs> Leaving me a voicemail. That's good. Me, please. Yeah. OK, Steve Odell. Now are you ready? Uh, I think so. Song. Although, um, yeah, a uh, little explanation, a little preamble. Uh, so as we're recording, it's the day after the Grammys, and I actually stayed up and watched the Grammys. Oh, no. Because there's a whole reason, because the way they're doing things socially distant, I, was, I wanted yeah. to see kind of how, how events oh, are happening totally. like that in this era. But as I was watching it, I realized, oh, wow, yeah, I know nothing. I am officially old now. Like, I don't know any of these artists. I don't know any of the music. It was... A bit sobering, but uh, I appreciated uh, what was shared by Natalie on social media. She said, bet all I have on you by Mission House. And I don't know that song, but I would like to seek it out. Sounds good. All I have. Bet all I have on you. Did that relate to the Grammys? I'm trying to make the connection. No, there's no there's no connection. What I'm saying is for myself, I don't even know. (laughs) Uh, Except for my (laughs) I do like this song uh, by Need to Breathe called uh, Survivor. So. Also by Destiny's Child. <laughs> it's a different. <laughs> again, back to millennial. Title, also, song. again, back to right. irrelevant. <laughs> I, I, I did like the Billie Eilish um, performance last night. That's all I'll say about the Grammys. All right. I love it. Next. <laughs> Matt Krieg, who, which listener response stood out to you? Oh, I think you know which listener response stood know. out to me. It was Brenda. Why Brenda, Matt? Oh, where is my hairbrush? (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because I can't tell you how many times I've woken up in the day and... Woken up in the day? Okay, in the before sunrise day. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And then gone to the bathroom and brushed my teeth and I'm like, my hair's looking a mess. I got to do something. Where is my hairbrush? Yeah. Yeah. You got two daughters and a wife who steals your hairbrush. Listen, speaking of gender roles, I thought men will have combs and women have brushes. So I steal your brush because it's all right. I I started with combs, but those got lost even sooner. So I figured the big old hairbrush would be harder to lose. But alas, no, I know. No, you just have good brush. Okay, guys, I appreciated uh, this from Michelle on Facebook, which guys, if you want to answer this question, find us at the Hole in My Heart podcast uh, uh, Facebook group. You got to ask to join, but join on Facebook. There's a conversation happening. Some of those conversations are live on like a Zoom platform, but it's really neat. They digest and talk about uh, these 
conversations that we're having here on the podcast in real life with other people who listen. Uh, Michelle said, Jesus paid it all by Christian Stan Phil. Jesus paid it all. I just think I'm really in a season, a week this week. Seems like everyone's kind of in a year slash week right now or day or wake up in the day uh, where we need Jesus really bad. And so the worship music, but really I've been going like straight up Bible, just listen to the Bible app. I, so I don't even know if there's a song, except I would say the sons of Korah, not the ones directly in the Psalms, but there was a group called the Sons of Korah about 10 years ago, and they did all the, many of the Psalms, they put them to music, and they, Psalm 69, which is pretty much very depressing one. I'm digging it right now. Psalm 69 by the Sons of Korah. Okay, we got to lament sometimes, but let's go to our gospel conversation. Not that all of this is not, even where's my hairbrush, but let's talk about this question. The purpose of this podcast is to talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. And so we've asked every guest for the last 170 episodes, this set of questions. So Felicia, we're going to ask you if the gospel is, I am more loved than I imagined. And yet I'm more sinful than I believe. When was that gospel first good news for you? And how do you need it still? You know, I grew up in a Christian home. So I heard a version of the gospel throughout my early years in my church. My parents are really intentional in their discipleship of me, but um, through a sexual struggle of my own, I very early realized I was more sinful than I um, could have ever imagined. Mm -hmm. And I kind of fell into it accidentally. So I really struggled with the idea of, um, God setting me up for failure mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. So really early 12, 13, 14, 15, I was asking a lot of really big questions about, about God and the gospel without really knowing that that's what it was. Mm. But it was also because of those questions and because of um, pressing in to get the answers and starting to seek the Lord and asking what's repentance. And am I really going to be saved if I mm -hmm. sin again in the same way um, that brought me to an actual saving knowledge of the Lord? I said a prayer at six, but I would say I was 15 years old when I really, truly um, surrendered to the Lord and the Holy Spirit was in my life and changing me. And that's when I was, it wasn't over. <laughs> I still right. struggled for quite a long time, um, but I was in Christ. And the good news was that there was always, as first, first John one, nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them and to cleanse us and make us righteous. And, and that was what I clung to mm -hmm. and what I still cling to today. So it is good news. It's good news for those who know that they're broken and that there's still wholeness being offered mm. here in 2021. How do you still need that good news? I mean, I think in 2021, I see more clearly how I need it every day. Mm. It, my struggles are different now. They may not be so much the, the sexual struggles as they were in my early 20s, but they are anxiety over my kids and their future or, um, you know, leading my family and discipling my children and having a healthy marriage. Those are all things that I, I think, gosh, I just don't have the capacity to to handle any of that. I don't have the capacity to, to walk rightly in this. And right. yet that's where the gospel enters in that. Yes, you don't have the capacity, but he does. Yeah, that's right. That is so good. 
So on your site, uh, in your podcast, the Verity podcast, which guys, guys and gals, all y'all, I would encourage you to check it out because Felicia's doing a really great job unpacking really big conversations and topics theologically without being real patronizing about it. So she really wants to break it down for anyone uh, to understand. Now, one of your anyone's, probably your target, it seems like, is women in particular. And you say this line, every woman a theologian. Why do you say that? So when we think of the word theologian, I think our minds go to like tweed suits and pipes and, For sure. you know, a library full of leather bound books. But that's not actually what what I'm using the term to describe. You don't have to go to Oxford to be a everyday theologian. Right. Because theology is simply what? The study of the nature of God. And every Christian should be a student of the nature of God. They should be journeying into a deeper understanding of who he is because that doctrinal understanding actually gives us a foundation for our devotion, for our intimacy with him. Mm. We trust what we know, right? So the more we know him, the more we can trust him. So every woman, a theologian, it could say every Christian, a theologian, but most of my audience is, is women. And my mission, our team's mission is to equip these women to feel confident in pursuing an understanding of doctrine so that when they are engaging in culture, when they are choosing a church, when they're having conversations with people with hard questions in 2021, they have the ability to have those conversations and to ask the right questions. So we're about equipping women to really own their faith. I love it. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And so I, I hear a lot about what is, I guess, called biblical feminism. And in your mind, do you think that a, a quote-unquote biblical feminist is a wise way to, to identify, to view ourselves when it comes to someone who's trying to value women as kind of on an equal playing field as men? Okay, so that is a Pandora's box, but <laughs> I'm going to try and break this down in the, in the most... Um, palatable way I can, I guess. So I think the big thing we have to do when we talk about biblical feminism is we have to define our terms. Right. What do you mean by feminist? Because feminism historically has come in waves. The original feminism of Susan B. Anthony, that was a lot different than the feminism that we're looking at today. So as a Christian who stands on the values of the sanctity of life, sanctity of sex, sanctity of worship, like we see outlined in Acts 15, we have to have that filter on when we're looking at feminism. Which feminism are you talking about? Are you talking about the original Susan B. Anthony feminism? Are you talking about the dictionary definition, which simply says that women should be equal to men in society? Or are you talking about a modern day feminism that has adapted and changed and taken on so many different assumptions and attachments. So the, what happens here is, is there's, these are such loaded terms that if one person says I'm a biblical feminist, because I believe men and women are equal in God's eyes and they have the capacity to accomplish the great commission in the world. Another person hears that and says, so you're pro-choice. So you believe in intersectionality. So you believe, you know, all of these other things. So we have to define the term. We have to say, I am a feminist and this is what I mean by it. Mm -hmm. But if we're simply going to say God made men and women equal in his eyes, mm -hmm. 
with equal capacity for spiritual influence, equal capacity for world influence. To they, they were both necessary to fulfill his mission. If that's what you mean by biblical feminism, then yes, I would say that is a, it can be backed up by Orthodox Christian teaching. So, can I ask a follow-up question here? So if you were to walk into a room full of maybe people that you don't know very well and you're about to give a talk, how, how do you kind of open up that conversation for yourself short of saying, this is what I mean by feminism? How do you kind of identify the, the, the place that you're coming from? So I actually don't use the word feminist because of how loaded it is. I would not start, I wouldn't walk into a women's conference and call myself a biblical feminist because that term is so loaded. It has the power to drive away the very people who I am trying to reach Mm -hmm. with scripture. People who grew up in really fundamental circles or grew up in really conservative churches are going to have a visceral response to that term, and they will most likely shut down to a lot of what I'm trying to say. And so I instead choose to say what I believe scripture supports, that God is pro-woman. He is pro-women using their gifts. And, And there's obviously in scripture, there's parameters and things that are said about how men and women are to operate in the church and in marriage, et cetera, but he is pro woman. And so I start there. Doesn't mean I disagree with everything a biblical feminist would say. I'm sure we have tons of crossover, um, but I choose not to use the term in order to keep as many people in the conversation as possible. Mm-hmm. And so you say you call yourself pro woman. Okay, what aspects, if you look at, you know, modern day feminism, and it's hard to even say modern day because it's not like it just planted today, like it carries with it its roots from the past. So however you want to take that term, if you look at modern day feminism and you look at the Bible, I guess just like, where do you see like overlap? And you mentioned a couple already. Where are you like, yeah, I'm in. And where are you like, nah, guys, we got to say no to this because of our theology. So there's a lot of overlap in the sense of, I think in fourth wave feminism, which is what we're dealing with today. A little quick overview. You had that first wave of Susan B. Anthony, those who are fighting for women to be able to vote that wave. The one of the huge motivators to women being able to vote was for them to vote in prohibition. They wanted prohibition because they believed that if they could make alcohol illegal, they could actually make life better for many wives, a lot of immigrant wives and the wives in poor communities, because they were the ones who were being abused by these um, alcoholic husbands having babies, you know, every, you know, every year and just could not take care of themselves. They couldn't take care of their families. So suffrage and prohibition were linked. As time goes on, we see World War One, World War Two. And then you see the 50s, which is this iconic, you know, supposed um, perfect time in society, which it was not. You see a reaction to the 50s in the 60s and the 70s with the sexual revolution, which then you have Gloria Steinem and Hillary Clinton and, and the that wave of um, the feminist icons as we know them today. 
Then you had a third wave in the 80s and the 90s. And now we're looking at a fourth wave feminism. And this feminism wants it all in the sense that they're much more family oriented. They want to be able to have their jobs and have kids. And so with that being the case, I think there's a lot of crossover with a biblical um, ethic of womanhood and fourth wave feminism because it is more family oriented. It does have more respect for the partnership of men and women working together. Um, it isn't always, I'm going to sacrifice my kids on the altar of my job, like the Clinton and Steinem kind of feminism was. So with that in mind, I think that there is a lot that that we can see in this modern day feminism that Christians, um, it doesn't surprise me that Christians would call themselves biblical feminists in that regard, where I think we can run into trouble is of course the conversation around sanctity of life and, and thinking through what does that look like? Now, as far as legislation is concerned, Christians come to different conclusions on how that should look, but is there truly a message of the sanctity of all life in fourth wave feminism? Can I, as a Christian, bind myself to this movement in good conscience? Um, would I feel comfortable um, saying this or would I have to explain where I diverge from them? For me, um, typically, there isn't enough of a, an honor for life in the modern day um, a feminism movement to stand with them. They also tend to pull in some elements of, of intersectionality and um, a view on even critical race theory, critical theory that comes in that sometimes runs head to head with the Christian ethic. Hmm. And so because of that, I think we just have to be discerning and partner where we can and also just hold it up to the measure of the word. Hmm. Hey guys, it's Lori and Matt and Steve. Hey guys, we have recently discovered a new to us translation of the Bible called the Christian Standard Bible. And you know what? We love it. <laughs> Currently, we really like the Holy Land Illustrated Edition. Yeah, I love that one because I've never been to Israel or Turkey or anything. And so to like see those places while I'm reading. Yeah, it just it makes you feel like uh, like you're experiencing it without having to drop a few thousand dollars to do so. Uh, yeah. So, guys, if you want to check out this Holy Land Illustrated Bible, visit csbholylandillustratedbible.com. And we'll put that link in the show notes. So, so as Christians, you know, we, we, have, we have men, we have women, we have all been created in the image of God, yet we can sometimes do that a little bit distinctly um, or in different ways. And how do, you see, how do you see women and men, I guess, imaging God differently and the same? Well, I think when we talk about the image of God, and we talk about this in the theology basics classes that I teach, we have to think through what does it mean, first of all, just to be an image of God in general, right? That word is image is a reference to being an idol of God. It's basically the same word. I am an idol of God on earth, the image of that shows his presence, that shows who he is, which is why idolatry, one of the reasons idolatry was such a big deal for Israel and even today, because 
we are, why would an idol worship an idol, right? We are the idols and images of God. I do think over the course of church history that the way men and women image God has been so strictly defined that the difference is so strictly defined at times that it misses the point of imaging God together. Mm-hmm. And, and there, they, we become so consumed with, well, women can only image God this way and men can only image God this way, that there's a lack of, of focus on the whole point, which is imaging God and using those different gifts and personality differences and, um, all that he has created in us to accomplish his will in the world. I also think the church has tended to take preferential things like the colors you like or the hobbies you have or your haircut or your, you know, maybe even your style overall to say, or, you know, I like to cook, you know, my husband likes to knit, whatever saying these are feminine things. These are masculine things. And the Bible says you shouldn't be doing those when in reality they are more preferential. So we have to like stick to what we know is true of imaging God as men and women. Obviously there are differences outlined in scripture, but I also think that we don't want to add to scripture. We don't want to add preferential things and raise them from preferential to core doctrine and say, well, he's wearing a pink shirt. So he's clearly not (laughs) imaging God the way that he should. Are these differences, which this is just, I mean, it's, these are hard questions. So thank you. You're doing great. Uh, are these differences only in roles, which them's fighting words, just to say gender roles is like throwing a grenade and a fire. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I have done some studying of this. I've gone back and forth, like I mentioned with Preston Sprinkle, multiple other people. And it's hard. We were talking before pushing record. It's hard to nail down what is the difference between men and women, masculinity and femininity beyond organs, sexual organs and beyond gender roles? What's your study been like and where are you at in that? That, you know, I'm like you in that I'm still reading and studying and digging into this because I don't believe I have completely landed. And I will say that there are questions I still have like last week, on Instagram, my community community and I were talking about men, husbands, quote unquote, helping in the home. Right. And there was a split down the middle between people who were like, I wish my husband would help in the home. He would like notice and like do the dishes or do the laundry. And others who said, why are you saying helping? He's a, he lives here. He contributes like that's a part of living here. And what that shows is a fundamental, you know, difference in understanding of what gender roles in the home should be. Some women felt like they couldn't even ask their husband to help because his biblical role was to provide financially and to lead the home. Whereas others said, we both provide, we both work. I work whether paid or unpaid in the home and he works paid. So, you know, what's the difference here? We're, We're both working So I will say that I have wondered myself, is there a psychological, biological bent where men are more, um, less likely to notice things in the home 
is or is that just man to man personality difference? Um, is it nature? Is it nurture? These are all questions that I have asked myself. I don't really have an answer, but I do see when I've studied scripture and I've read through the Bible now five times, I have a religion degree. I've read a bajillion books on gender roles and I feel like I don't have a ton more clarity, but I do know this. We don't actually see anything saying that men can only be the financial provider or the breadwinner man and woman together were to work and tend the garden. They were essential to one another. We know that we know that men are to honor their wives. Peter says men are to honor their wives just the same as wives are to honor their husbands in Ephesians five. So we are seeing a lot of the stuff that, that I see elevated to be like, well, men can only work outside the home or, you know, women are naturally drawn to cook and naturally every drawn woman. to take care of kids, things every like this. Single it's one. like, well, <laughs> maybe, you know, um, but not always. Right, and right, right. We're, we're also in a sinful world. Mm. So obviously through this answer, you can see that I haven't come to an absolute conclusion, but I would say what I always do is I go back and I look at the passage, the whole of scripture, the whole counsel of God, and then look at the passages about men and women in context of the whole counsel of God and the whole goal of God, which is go forth and make disciples. Mm -hmm. So if that's the context, any command to men and women is going to align with his context of commands to the whole church. Mm. So I, as a counselor, I work with people um, who experience gender dysphoria. Who they don't, they don't have an alignment with their their biological sex, their internal identity. And and I guess as you're talking about like the concept of yeah, women always wanting to cook, quote unquote, or men always having to to leave the home to provide financially, like. Can you speak to some of these people? Because I feel these gender stereotypes typically exacerbate some mm-hmm. of maybe what they're already feeling, that they're not girly enough or manly enough. Um, can you speak to someone who might feel this way and, and help them to have maybe a better understanding of biblical manhood and womanhood? Well, I will say I am not a counselor. And I have not as much experience with this, though I am sure it is so painful to have these extra stereotypes, these cultural things put on scripture and then to be in a church context and not be able to know which of this is scripture and which of this is just cultural. That's a, that is so hard and, and heavy to carry. One of the things I have found to be encouraging and I hope this would be encouraging is I am a very I'm a very strong woman I guess what that's the term it's usually used negatively but that's what that's what I've been told I'm a very strong woman I'm actually um, the the CEO of a company every woman a theologian is a is a corporation and I am the primary breadwinner in my home my husband when I got when we got married I thought that husbands would be like, bossy or like, this is how it's going to be, you know, leading the home. It'd be really clear that I was supposed to like follow some sort of path. And so when I got married and my husband was this kind, like sensitive, not domineering person, which I knew before we married, but I guess I thought something would happen when we got married and Mm -hmm. he'd like rise into this role that I thought was what he would be in. 
um, it really shook me up because those stereotypes, those extra biblical stereotypes were what I was measuring myself by and what I was measuring my husband by. And it, it aggravated and it made for a lack of peace in our marriage. And when I returned to the word and I said, Lord, just show me, show me what your heart is for men and women, for me in my marriage. Am I really wrong for being a woman who loves to work and who is more outgoing and who does speak up? Am I wrong for that? Is is that out of line with what we see in Timothy and Titus? Is my husband out of line for not liking to hunt and not liking trucks and you know being just a more sensitive heart? And what I found in scripture was that the heart of the person and their desire to walk with the Lord and evidence the fruit of the spirit is God's top priority. And some of those extra personality traits, they're just the freedom that he gives us to express that personality as long as we're surrendering it to the Lord. And so I don't know if that would be encouraging, but it was something that I walked through with my husband and our marriage greatly improved after I let him be who God made him to be um, and recognized he's a masculine man. His masculinity is just expressed differently than the culture that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. It's more like very masculine David who wept and wrote poetry and sure could tear apart a lion with his bare hands, but yeah. yeah. Okay, I have a question though, because I know uh, based on your podcast that you hold to a soft complementarian view. Now we're just going to hit every single controversial <laughs> feminine issue ever. Got it, guys? Okay, ripping the Band-Aid off. These okay. are just things I've been thinking about. Uh, we're just going to go there. So Matt and I are actually soft complementarian, um, which if you guys want to figure out what you are, if you're married, if you're complementarian, egalitarian. It's both about marriage and about roles in the church. We'll post a link uh, on the site. You can look at that. Um, but we're complementarian, soft complementarian. And so, Matt, maybe there's been about three times, I would say, where three to five times where in the last 12 years you've been like, hey, this the buck stops here. But Felicia, I'm just curious, have you seen egalitarian marriages that are like totally equal squeakwool and like I don't know. I just sometimes feel like I see anger around it at times. So I actually have seen it. <gasps> I'm so um, glad I have to hear seen it. healthy egalitarian marriages done and um, have several close egalitarian couple friends. And, it's and I equal think squeakwool. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> How do equal they do squeakwool. It? But I here's the thing. These these couples are so strong in the Lord mm. and they are so sensitive to the spirits leading that if they're being like disrespectful to one another, they know it, they go and they apologize. So I think that's the context in which it works is when both of them are equally like seeking the Lord's face and, and actually, actually mm. submitting one to the other. Wow. As you know, I am a soft complimentarian. Same reason as you, I can't get away from it in scripture. A big part of it is, um, all through the Old Testament and the Levitical law and the priesthood and the the setup of the family and all of that. I just have a hard time thinking that that just vanished once Jesus came um, because the commands are then brought through into the New Testament. But here's what I always say. A healthy complementarian marriage will actually look egalitarian. Right. Most people will not think that you are complementarian. Mm. So I am complementarian in theology, but Josh and I, like you, 
we literally have had three times in our seven years of marriage where he said, okay, no, this is just, we're just going to do this because we're not going to come to an agreement on this. So three times entire Mm -hmm. marriage. So I would say, obviously there are people who will disagree, you know, with that complementarian interpretation. Personally, I find the egalitarian hermeneutic a little bit stretchy theological gymnastics, as I like to say. Um, But you know what? They're my brothers and sisters, and I can see how it can work well in a marriage. I will say, yeah, it's tough sometimes communicating about that, Mm. um, arriving at that conclusion. But I would always say, which I think you guys would agree with, you, you can't interject a theological framework of marriage without the Holy Spirit and, you know, walking with Christ. You just can't do it. You end up with a patriarchal abuse right? or you end up with a matriarchal abuse. Right. Either way, that's the only way it works. So you have to be walking with the Lord for any framework to work. Mm. So I'm, I'm really glad you said that because I was, as Lori, you were talking about the some of the anger <laughs> that, that you've seen in some of the egalitarian. I'm like, well, there's there's some anger in the the complementarian sure. as well. And so I'm, I'm glad there, that just came up just that, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit that we need in order to walk any relationship well. Um, and so I, I don't like, you, you say that typically if a complementarian framework is being done well, it will look egalitarian. And I guess in, in light of the fact that we need the Holy Spirit, that, that in how it's carried out, it can look very similar when it when it's done healthily should any of these kind of disagreeing theological frameworks be like a deal breaker for the church in your opinion so one of the ways i like to look at this is through the lens of theological triage which is a a term coined by albert moeller super helpful for determining what is a core doctrine like a heresy level doctrine What is a secondary issue that divides churches and what is a a third tier issue that's just like you can be in the same church, but you have different views on it, like end times or modesty, things like that. Gender roles, complementarianism, egalitarianism will always be a secondary issue because it doesn't have to do with salvation, but it does change the structure of the church. People who are complementarian aren't going to attend a church that has a female head pastor most likely. They're probably not. So I think that ideally it would not divide. We'd be able to be gracious to our, our comp or egal friends, but practically most likely these churches will still be separated by their views on the issue. Mm -hmm. I think the issue though, is knowing that it's not a core doctrine, knowing that this is something we can differ on in grace and that we can honor one another in it, visit their church, see what it's like, you know, don't feel like you're going to lose your salvation because somebody is an an egalitarian, you know, that's, that's a silly thing to assume that just because somebody holds to a certain theology, you know, you need to doubt every, every other thing that they hold on to look at what they believe, see if it's a core doctrine and then break it down from there. So, yeah, I think it will divide us practically, but it doesn't have to divide us spiritually. Felicia, as a a last word for our single 
specifically female friends who are listening to this, you know, and it gets so many times we talk about femininity, it gets wrapped up in gender roles. And all of a sudden we're talking about marriage and they're like, ah, can't you ever say something about femininity that isn't related to marriage? I'm not saying you, I'm just saying the church. So is there an encouragement you could give them um, just as they're like, hey, I feel called to singleness and how do I engage that with my femininity? I love that question. And that, that's, that's a great question. I think, yes, it's often bound up in the conversation around marriage as if you are more female, if you're attached to a man, which is not obviously true. Um, because we see um, in first Corinthians seven, actually, where it talks about a woman who is dedicated to the Lord um, is not distracted by the things of the world and distracted by pleasing her husband. She actually has the ability to fully focus on the Lord. Now, as far as the femininity portion, how do you celebrate that as a single person? I think that ultimately it really goes back to being in the word, being in a community of faith and seeking the, the Holy Spirit's leading on how he wants to refine you in the aspects of your femininity. I mean, there's so many like practical things I could say, but I think a lot of them are really, they really depend on how God is calling you to express your womanhood mm. because, okay, I'm going to give you an example Please. of something that maybe it's kind of silly, but a lot of young women who are single, they won't buy... <laughs> This is so silly that I'm bringing this up, but I think it connects to this. Go for it. They will not buy cute lingerie because there's no man to see it. Mm. And I think that that shows this underlying um, idea that the beauty of my body, um, the, the sense of feeling beautiful and like dressing myself in a beautiful way where no one else will see it is only reserved for marriage. Like it's only something I should be doing if a guy is involved. Mm -hmm. And I would say, let's get to the heart behind that idea. What if you as a single woman did buy pretty lingerie for yourself that you can wear, that you can say, this makes me feel womanly. This makes me feel beautiful. That's just a practical thing. And not every woman will want to do it. That doesn't mm -hmm. define you as a woman. But I think there are a lot of women out there who maybe that that's a symptom of an underlying idea that can be brought to the Lord. And you can say, you know what, actually I do. I do want to celebrate me as a woman, as God made me, even though I don't have a man attached to me, I can celebrate this in this practical way. And it can look so different depending on your personality and, and et cetera. But I think just allowing yourself to sit with the Lord and say, Lord, am I believing any lies about my femininity, my, my womanhood, um, even my desirability, like not necessarily that that will take you into a relationship, but we can believe lies about that as a single person, even as a long-term celibate person, um, that we just need to have the Lord break through and break through those strongholds in our hearts. And I think as we do that, we actually end up walking into a really confident femininity that he defines for us. I love, love, love that. And there's, I just hear such a cultivation of intimacy with our creator who will be our husband. And that's just a fact. Felicia, thank you so much for sharing your heart and mind and story and answering. Let's just pepper you with all the feminine questions and see how you do. You did great. So thank you. Thanks for putting me on the spot. It's good for me. Gives me, uh, gives me good practice. Love it. <laughs>
Okay, guys, go, please. Check out Felicia's podcast, Verity, or find her at FeliciaMasonheimer.com or follow her on the socials. Just find Felicia Masonheimer. She is doing another pop-up shop for her beautiful and really helpful theology uh, resources in June. So that's coming up soon. We do have a question of the week for next week. Matt, you want to take it? What's tell the people what the question yeah, is? Yeah, where are you going on vacation slash staycation this summer? If it's a staycation, you're not going anywhere, but we'd still love to hear about it. Yeah, we would join that Hold My Heart podcast Facebook group. Just search Hold My Heart podcast, answer a couple questions, and Lord willing, we'll we'll let you in unless you answer really strangely. But so don't do that. Uh, thanks again to Felicia Masonheimer and for all of us here at the Hold My Heart podcast. We'll see you next week.